Welcome to the 32nd episode of our podcast series for advisors considering the independent space. Today's episode is The Year in Review, The 10 Most Valuable Insights on Independence, a collection of the top words of wisdom from the first year of Mindy Diamond on Independence. I'm Mindy Diamond, and this is Mindy Diamond on Independence. This podcast is available on our website, diamond-consultants.com and on wealthmanagement.com, as well as iTunes and other resources. It was November of 2017 when we first launched this podcast series with the intention of doing maybe 10 episodes as a way of answering the questions that every captive advisor had asked us about independence. As I began to welcome some really stellar guests who shared their expertise in the field or their own breakaway journey, the interest level continued to rise with more and more advisors listening in daily. A little over a year in and some 30 episodes later, Mindy Diamond on Independence has now surpassed 26,000 downloads as of this recording and continues to grow. I had no idea there would be such a need for this kind of information, and I'm just overwhelmed by the response to the series. Listeners tell me it's their go-to resource for learning about the space. Some advisors say they listen to certain episodes multiple times. Others forward it to everyone on their team, and still more tell me that they take it with them on their runs, when they walk their dogs, or essentially listening to it any chance they get. It's the most positive feedback I could have ever imagined, and I'm humbled beyond words. I share that feedback with you not to brag, but to illustrate just how hungry the captive advisor community is to understand what's driving the momentum towards independence, what has made some of the most talented and productive advisors take the leap, and why senior leaders from the major brokerage firms and banks have joined the movement. It's hard for a prospective breakaway to learn the real truth behind the moves they read about, the ones that respected colleagues around the country have made. This series has provided the inside baseball, that is, the behind-the-scenes knowledge that they have been craving. Over the past year, my guest interviews have shared countless impactful and incredibly smart insights, just too many to mention each one. But as an acknowledgement of the enduring phenomenon that is the independent space and a tribute to the amazing people that have joined me in educating our listeners, I'd like to highlight the 10 most valuable topics and words of wisdom from the past year. So in advance, I thank you for listening and hope you find these highlights as helpful and significant as I did. And a special thanks to the guests who shared their time and wisdom and expertise in the series. I'm immensely grateful. So let's start at the top. Insight number one, how is independence better for advisors? David Cantor, Executive Vice President and Head of the RIA segment at Fidelity Clearing and Custody Solutions, was incredibly generous with the information he shared in episode 24. So I encourage you to listen to the entire show. In it, David shares a template for how to communicate your move to a client. But for now, I want to share David's response to my question, how is independence better for an advisor? You know, 
independence is better for an advisor. And again, we have to make sure that they're bought into the fact that they want this flexibility, want this choice, and they want to operate where they are charting their course forward for their own future. So provided they have the right mindset, we think there are three main advantages. One, the advisors that we've surveyed believe that they're more satisfied with their work. So just generally job satisfaction, they're happier, they have more energy, they still get to work with their colleagues and their clients, but they're doing so on their terms. So that's that job satisfaction angle. Two, they have the chance to build a business that will endure. So they're creating enterprise value, not just for themselves and their families, but their colleagues, their partners and their employees. And we spend a lot of time, you mentioned it earlier, on the economics and the economic implications of forming your own firm. It's a great way to build economic value. And I, and I guess the third part of it is the culture that they get to create. It's probably related to job satisfaction, but the culture of owning your own business, the culture of developing that next generation talent, the culture of running a firm in the way you really want to. And that's what we hear time and time again. I think the most important stat I would give you is I have never talked to a firm that's gone independent that wanted to go back. Mm -hmm. Certainly, there have been firms that have decided to take some liquidity by doing a transaction with a private equity firm or a firm like the Focus Financials of the world, but I've never seen a firm decide they want to go back and rejoin the wirehouse. I think that's very rare. I'm sure it must happen, but it hasn't happened in my direct experience. So let's move on to insight number two. How is independence better for clients? It's no doubt that independence affords advisors more freedom, flexibility, and control than they would have as an employee. But what's on the minds equally of most advisors is what's in it for their clients. That's a topic I discussed with Tim Oden in our episode 20. He's Senior Managing Director for Business Development at Schwab Advisor Services. Let's listen in to what he had to say. Well, large, sophisticated advisors are finding that they are now more than ever able to build the business that reflects their values, leverages their experience, allows them the flexibility to offer products and services they believe in, and that they believe best reflects their clients' needs and interests, right? So the advisor has a lot of upside in making this transition. We also mentioned the economic. It is built in there, but again, depends on the individual situation. What advisors get out of this also is their ability to build their own brand, which is a very valuable tool when it comes to retaining clients, but also in growing their business. What I think is interesting is when we do our sophomore survey, which we send out to advisors who have completed their transitions in the previous year, and we ask them about how their business has evolved, where do they think about the independent space now that they made it, it's amazing how many of them have told us that their revenues have grown. Their marketing has improved and their business is growing faster now than ever simply because they have a better story to tell, a differentiated story to tell. So having this ability to be able to build their business in a way that markets to what they're passionate about makes a difference in the growth of their business. But you mentioned the clients. So what do clients get out of this? First and foremost, clients get an advisor who is acting as a fiduciary in a channel that is supporting fiduciary decision-making. That's different. It's a little bit sad to me that every survey that we do about with 
owner, high net worth, ultra high net worth individuals that they can't articulate the differences to them as a consumer between a suitability standard and a fiduciary standard. That's a, an opportunity for education. But clients get the benefit of an advisor that moves into the RIA space because that RIA is signing up to act as a fiduciary. That is critically important. Now, there's other tangible benefits. Clients are able to interact with their advisors differently. How important is it that advisors are able to demonstrate an embracing of technology such that not only their their clients, but that multiple generations, that next generation of wealth owners within that family who think about technology differently is able to interact with that advisor in a way that is comfortable to them. That enables them to not only retain the clients, but able to grow those clients because now I don't have to come in and sit in that old mahogany office anymore. I can interact with you via Skype. I can interact with you via text. I can do things that I couldn't do before. Independence allows advisors that flexibility. As Tim said, clients get the benefit of an advisor who moves into the RIA space because that RIA is signing up to act as a fiduciary. That is critically important. Indeed, it is. So let's talk a little more about that. Our insight number three is on being a true fiduciary. While I'm humbled and thrilled to share conversations with so many industry leaders and top advisors who've made the leap to independence, having Mark Tiburgian, the chief executive of BNY Mellon's Pershing Custody Unit on episode 29, is still a highlight for me. Mark reflected similar thoughts on the independent advisor's ability to be a true fiduciary that I think are important to revisit. Many wirehouse advisors consider themselves fiduciary. So you're right. Technically, they're held to a suitability standard, not a fiduciary one. But they think of themselves as fiduciaries. They would never dream of doing anything that wouldn't put their client's interests first. How would you respond to that? I think that that is exactly one reason why they leave, because they, in their own mind, perceive that they're fiduciaries and operate in their clients' own interests. But the reality is that the way in which their firms behave or manage them or force them to think in terms of productivity or products may cause them to operate in conflict with what they fundamentally believe. I think that, frankly, is one of the catalysts for teams leaving captive environments that are not designed to support their business model. Mark also talked further about the value of being a true fiduciary to clients. I think that the fiduciary advisory model has great value for clients in that there's a level of transparency that occurs. The custodian is separate from the advisory business, so there is a checks and balance that happens in the relationship. Fiduciary advisors have access to whole of market in terms of what they can recommend for solutions. And they don't have to be paid on the grid where there is a performance measure that's unrelated to client needs. So there's a closer alignment to the way in which clients want to be served to how fiduciary advisors behave. And I think this, by the way, is one reason why so many broker-dealers have been investing in their advisory platforms and trying to get to that point of saying, I recognize the trend. I have to be in line with what's going on there. So let's shift gears a bit for insight number four, which is the growth of support 
and how it contributes to the expansion of the space. There's little doubt about the continued momentum of the breakaway movement, and there are few people who have their finger on the pulse of the space like Cheryl Penny, founder and CEO of Dynasty Financial Partners. In our episode 22, he shared his answer to the big question, will the momentum continue and why? I think yes. Uh, and I think it's a couple things that are going to continue to drive it and maybe perhaps even accelerate it. We're seeing, I know you see this all the time in, in your business, Mindy, bigger teams. You know, you look at uh, today, you know, the multi-billion dollar teams are considering independence. We're now also seeing groups of advisors and sometimes not even from the same firm, but within a community that are getting together and trying to launch with significant momentum and, and scale. We're seeing proven leaders from our industry and even other industries that are now coming in and taking senior leadership roles within firms that I think are going to contribute to helping those businesses scale faster, as I said earlier, more capital coming into the space. And I also think there are more successful REAs that are now looking to grow inorganically that will become landing pads, if you will, for a lot of advisors who want all the benefits of independence, but maybe they don't want to run their own firm. So those advisors may break away and join a pre-existing firm. And, and I think, again, taken together, those things uh, really have strong potential to not only continue the movement to your question, but perhaps even accelerate it. So let's move on and look more closely at the advisor's perspective with insight number five, breaking out of the box. Jim Dixon, founder and president of Sanctuary Wealth Partners and the former Merrill Lynch division leader who spent 20 years building and leading individual advisors and teams, joined us in episode 26. During his tenure as a manager at Merrill, he gained an acute understanding of what advisors really want and need to succeed. After sensing a major change in culture and seeing what was coming down the pike, Jim left Merrill and built his quasi-independent firm with a goal to provide access to what he saw as the best of all worlds, community, infrastructure, cutting-edge technology, and of course, a robust platform. The ultimate insider is Jim. I asked him about the changes he saw in the industry and their impact on movement. Well, I'll maybe answer that by a story. And so we recently recruited a great team. And as I was recruiting this advisor, he's as good as it gets, just unbelievable client service. And he said this to me and it resonated so much because it was exactly what I felt, although I didn't articulate it, he did. And that was, listen, when I joined a wirehouse, I knew it was a big box and that big box kind of gave me safety because as I was building my business, it kept me between the lines, so to speak. But over the years, particularly the last 10 years, that box just kept getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And then one day I woke up and I just don't fit in the box anymore. And I think that that is a great example. And so it's interesting. We, we had a nice team join us uh, just last week. And when they came in, they had great success and their clients are all transitioning in. And, you know, we were talking a little bit about it. And, and I, asked, um, I asked the advisor, Martin, I said, tell me more 
because I was curious to some of the specifics of conversations. And they used to do these wonderful thing called private dinner clinics. And these private dinner clinics were something where they would invite their clients and prospective clients and they would pick a hot topic of the day or the time and honor and they would talk through it. You know, Martin specifically spoke about one, which was, you know, when the Roth opportunity first came about and how that the clients found great value in that education process and how it actually helped them grow their business. But over time, what happened at the wirehouse that they came from was their flexibility got less and less and less. And at the end, they had to stop doing them for the last two or three years because all they could do were these 30 pre-approved programs and they had to stick to a specific script and there couldn't be any Q&A. And so I think that's a great example of a lack of freedom and flexibility and honestly trust for these, these advisors, this one being a CFP, to really go out and do what they do. And so I think that's a microcosm of, of things that we see over and over and over where the least common denominator just got so small that a lot of people just gave up hope and just kind of put their head down and went with it. Next, looking at business ownership and what advisors see as a roadblock is topic number six on managing compliance. For those of you who haven't yet listened to episode 15, Matt Sonnen, the founder and president of PFI Advisors, provides a behind-the-scenes look at one of the top M&A deals of the independent space, the $100 million 2012 sale of RIA Luminous Capital to First Republic Bank. It's a phenomenal story that Matt was in on from day one as he was the operations point person for this dynamic ex-Merrill breakaway team. But what Matt brings to the table today is a treasure trove of experience that he translates into how to build an independent firm. So I thought I'd share his response to one of the top questions we hear. So speak of compliance, how much of a burden or what's involved in managing compliance for um, an RIA firm? That is one of the big things that keeps these guys and girls up at night. Thinking of uh, starting an RIA is, oh, geez, I've never had to deal with compliance before. I don't know if I, if I want to take that on. There are a lot of great outsourced CCO consultants out there. It's basically having a law firm on retainer. And so, again, I think if you hire someone who's dedicated and sitting at their desk all day, not thinking about where's my next client coming from or how do I service this existing client, but thinking about the operations and compliance of the firm. You can call these firms every day, all day, and ask certain questions. Hey, we have a new prospect. They want the client agreement to say this. Can I make that change? What are the ramifications? Hey, we're thinking of changing this technology. What does that do for cybersecurity? You have a call a friend available to you. So it's not as daunting having that security blanket as long as you have somebody that's really thinking about it. If somebody says, hey, let's create a new product here at the RIA, Somebody within the organization needs to think, hmm, we probably should place a call to our compliance consultant and just make sure that doesn't affect anything for our ADV. So as long as you're mindful of it, it's not a black hole. Insight number seven explores another hot topic on making the move to independence for those serving ultra high net worth clients. In our fifth episode, we spoke with Matt Salenza, managing partner of Boulevard Family Wealth in Beverly Hills. Matt was our first breakaway interview and one that really resonated with advisors. He hailed from Morgan Stanley and Smith Barney, and after 12 years there, he moved to the Merrill Lynch PBIG, or Private Banking and Investment Group. In 2017, he left Merrill to launch his own multifamily office, which now manages just short of a billion dollars in assets for ultra high net worth clients. 
Many advisors who serve a similar constituency, that is ultra high net worth clients, worry that independence isn't a robust enough solution for that group. Matt will be the first to tell you otherwise. And he does a really good job of explaining his thinking behind the move. Well, I think that there are several components of this decision, and that's ha- that's evolved over time. Um, you know, there once was a time where I was very comfortable working with the large brokerages and banks, and kind of we all had a general concept and idea of where we wanted to drive this high net worth business. And as a result of the markets moving in weird directions in 2008 and nine, um, you know, banks started taking a different look at how they wanted these brokerage arms to be ran. And it just seemed to me that there was less interest and less investment in concentrating on such a small component of their business in this ultra, ultra high net worth space with family office services. And a lot of the banks were talking about it and they were advertising and marketing along these lines, but the delivery just wasn't adequate in our opinion. So uh, that was really the main driving force is that we knew we couldn't rely on someone else's decision making to brand ourselves the way that we thought we needed to. So having independence really put us in that position. Matt, that's an interesting phenomenon because I talk with a lot of advisors that say the exact opposite or worry the exact opposite of what you just mentioned. They say the notion of independence, of gaining more freedom and control is actually very appealing to me, but because I run a fill-in-the-blank, an ultra-high net worth or an institutional or an international business, I believe that independence would not be for me. So taking the example of the ultra-high net worth client, I believe my ultra-high net worth clients need the resources and the big name of the big banks in order to feel comfortable. And you just said the opposite. So I'd love it if you take a minute to sort of address your take on that. Well, you know, it's hard for me to speak for the the entire advisory industry and what their thought process is. But personally speaking, I feel that a lot of the brokerage houses kind of communicate to their advisors and their prospective advisors that they do this type of business. But in theory, they continue to to fall short, in my opinion. When you're catering to an ultra high net worth individual in a family office environment, sometimes you have to go further than what you are actually being paid to do. Sometimes helping them gather documents or put together estate planning strategies. These are all things that are kind of outside of the scope of a general advisor's role. So even though they try to position themselves that they're in the business, they kind of fall short in, in my personal experience. So I would just say to the advisors that still have that mindset, if you explore the opportunities that are available to the independent space, you would be able to go step for step with any brokerage house out there and then utilize these resources to best suit your business. Moving on, one trend we're seeing more of in the breakaway movement is number eight on our list on multi-generational teams. Jason Court, president of Quadrant Private Wealth, along with other Merrill team members, Herm Ridge, Corey Lennon, and Brian Court, his brother, decided there was a better way to serve their clients. What's unique about this breakaway story is that senior partner and chairman of Quadrant, Herm Ridge, was considered a lifer at Merrill with nearly four decades under his belt. But instead of opting to stay on at the firm, 
he left with the team, believing that there was a much better legacy he could leave. Jason shared how they handled the unique and diverse needs of this multi-generational team, a scenario we've seen play out with other teams several times in the past year alone. Let me ask you a question back to Hermridge for a second. I know from having worked with you in those days that one of the biggest issues was, and mostly for the younger generation who was protective of Herm, of making sure that from a financial and emotional perspective, Herm was protected. And Herm had the most to lose financially by way of a whole lot of unvested deferred comp after a 40-year career with Merrill. How did you wind up addressing Herm's succession needs from a financial perspective by going independent? There's a short-term and a long-term answer to that. I'll start with the long-term because that's a simpler answer. And that's long-term. I think that Herm and everybody else will be better off because we have a business that we own that is growing and that we can control and that we can be flexible and, and we can work around Herm's needs in the next five or 10 years, my needs in the next 20 or 30 years, whatever they may be. So long-term, we're all going to be okay. The trickier part was the short-term because clearly there was a risk. While we thought that the vast majority of our clients would come with us, there's that point when you jump off the ledge, uh, you hope that you've calculated correctly because the biggest risk was if we weren't as successful as we thought we would be up front, ultimately, using myself as an example, I would have had plenty of time to figure it out and make it up over the coming decades. Not so much for someone who is in his early 70s. And so one of the things that we had to do was find a partner that would not only give us the skill sets to create a very sophisticated business so that we were up and running on, on day one and we wouldn't make any rookie mistakes. We couldn't afford to make rookie mistakes, but also gave us a little bit of capital up front to make the walk away a little bit more palatable. Not completely palatable, but something so that you know we weren't going from a big number to, to zero uh, in Herm's case if, if this didn't work out. And we uh, we did a lot of kicking the tires and, and ultimately partnered with Focus Financial out of New York, who at the time we were the 29th or 30th partner firm, and they continue to grow sort of at a similar pace of, of what, what we're growing at. They've been a partner that really helped throughout the entire process with all the succession planning and all the business running needs that we were presented with. And a topic everyone wants to know more about is our insight number nine on phenomenal growth. Bill Loftus, founding partner of the $2.4 billion firm Coastal Bridge Advisors, and Mark DuPont, Senior Vice President of Independence and Operations at Focus Financial Partners, joined us in Episode 23. Bill and his partners left Merrill in the midst of the 2008 financial crisis with $400 million in assets under management and has now grown to $2.4 billion in assets in just a decade. Bill shared with us what he feels is behind his firm's extraordinary growth. I think it's it starts with great people. We have phenomenal people inside our firm. And a number of the people inside our firm have been with us from the very beginning. 
So we've had people that came shortly after we became an independent firm. So it's incredible people who are very, very committed, who come to work every day looking to delight clients and make a difference in our clients' lives. So that's where it starts. And they're not only do they work well with clients, but they work well with each other. I mean, they're all about teaching each other, collaborating with each other, uh, rooting for each other. And that's where it all starts. If you walk into our office, the thing that will absolutely impress you is, is just the buzz in our office. It's a teaching session. It's a collaboration with each other on some service items. It's high-fiving each other when they do a great job. And so it's, it's infectious. So that's the first thing. The second thing is we have, no pun intended, a very focused practice. We have a well-defined process. Every client goes through this process. We are keenly interested in providing a very, very holistic and sound financial plan for our clients. So every client understands exactly at the point of engagement what they're going to get. And I think that's so critical. And because of the intense planning process that we have, we're keenly aware of every facet of our client's life. So we become, really, we become the trusted advisor. And in some cases, our clients have multiple advisors, but in almost every case, when that occurs, we sort of take the lead. We become the advisor of the advisors, and that's important. And I think the third thing is that because of our independence and our ability to look for solutions everywhere or anywhere, we continually come up with incredibly creative solutions that you can't find in other places. So whether it's tax structures that we provide for our clients, or if it's offshore custodianship, or if it's interesting investment products, they're just not seeing it at, at our competitors, whether it's a Goldman Sachs or a JP Morgan or a Bessemer. It's just, uh, they're not getting it anywhere else. So I think those three things have really been contributing factors. Yeah. Do you think that you could have experienced that kind of growth if you had stayed at Merrill? I don't. And for the three reasons I just outlined, I think, number one, I don't think we would have the collegiality, uh, the joie de vivre, if you will, um, that our team experiences. I think they'd feel like they were working for Merrill Lynch and not for a common cause at Coastal Bridge. And secondly, I think that we would be limited in our process by, frankly, the limited planning products that you saw at Merrill Lynch for example. So they just are far inferior to what we offer our clients and not nearly granular enough. And then lastly, I think we'd be hindered in our ability to work with outside providers. You know, we don't believe that the best trust in a state attorney, and this is no knock against anybody at Merrill Lynch, you know, resides inside a, a wirehouse. So we actually go out and find the best attorneys, the best investment bankers, the best insurance people, etc. And it's this quality of the network is so superior to what you're going to find inside a, a bank or a brokerage firm that they're consistently providing cutting-edge solutions for our clients. I don't think that happens if we stay at Merrill. And last, but certainly not least, no doubt what many breakaways want to know is number 10, on building a firm for maximum value. Liz Nesvold, founder and managing partner of Silver Lane Advisors, a top boutique investment bank focused on M&A in the financial services sector, joined me on episode 30. One of the most attractive components of owning an independent business is the ability to create long-term enterprise value and to build a business that can be attractive to buyers down the road. Liz described what she sees as the key differences between building a practice and building a business 
one that is well positioned for an M&A opportunity. Is there a difference between a practice and a business? And why does it matter? Definitely a difference. A practice is invariably what you see within four walls of some of the bigger institutions. And so when people exit and form their own RIAs, they begin as a practice. It's how you evolve the model that will determine and where you are in terms of the evolution of a business. So it comes back to all of that build out. It could certainly be a team that is more front office facing that builds wonderful practice value. If you're thinking about building your own RIA firm, Liz says build it with the right attributes, the factors that will make your business most attractive to a buyer. Those factors are a deep bench of talent, strong investment offering, momentum and growth, solid infrastructure, technology and operations, talented leadership, and an impeccable process. At the end of the day, the knowledge provided in this series is intended to educate and empower an advisor to make decisions about his or her future from a position of strength. I can't say it enough. Independence is not for everyone but it certainly appears to be the right direction for more and more of the advisor population. Yet it's a path you can't take without tremendous self-awareness and a deep understanding of your own needs and goals. So let me conclude with what I think is especially sound advice from David Cantor. I think that you've got to start with the question that I shared earlier. Why is going independent in the best interests of your clients? yourself, and your family. And if you have more than one partner in your advisory team, you should all ask that question of one another. And then you have to take it a step further. You have to be clear that you're starting a business and you have to ask five questions. Who is your target market? Is it the target market you have at at a wirehouse or, or other employer? Or is it a new target market? Do you have different target markets? What capabilities will you offer? And you have to be clear on what those capabilities are. Number three, how will you be organized? Who will lead the firm? What roles and responsibilities will each of the partners and support staff have? Number four, what will your infrastructure be? Whether technology, whether compliance, whether financial controls, whether office space. And number five, and I talked about this earlier, but I think it's critical, is what is your unfair advantage? Remember, competition is everywhere. One thing is for sure, in this wealth management space, differentiation has never been more important. So whether it's a particular specialization that you have, whether it's a particular breadth of service that you could offer, or whether it's your special relationship with your clients, you have to be clear what your unfair advantage is. Thank you for allowing me to share this retrospective. I'm looking forward to what the next year of this series brings, including many special guests ready to share behind-the-scenes brilliance. So I hope you'll continue to join me on this journey. In our next episode, Michael Henley, 
founder and CEO of Brandywine Oak Private Wealth, joins us to discuss one of the top breakaway stories of 2018. That's when he and his multi-generational team managing nearly a billion dollars in client assets left Merrill Lynch to start their own firm. What's really intriguing is that Michael, at only 34 years old, is representative of a new trend that's emerging. So be sure to listen in to learn more about what's behind this new wave of movement. Until then, I encourage you to visit our website, diamond-consultants.com, and click on the tools and resources link for valuable content. And if you're not a recipient of our weekly email, Perspectives for Advisors, click on the blog link to browse recent articles. Feel free to email or call me if you have specific questions. I can be reached at 908-879-1002 or by email at mdiamond at diamond-consultants.com. Please note that all requests are handled with complete discretion and confidentiality. Thank you for listening. I also want to thank wealthmanagement.com for sharing this podcast with their viewers and subscribers. This is Mindy Diamond on Independence.